The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building resilience. Talking Trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. On W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Good evening, America, and good morning, Australia. You're listening to Radio Tony, and I'm your host, Tony Lontest. And today, we have another jam-packed show, but before we get on to that, and just a reminder that Radio Tony has its own website and its own Facebook page, and you can subscribe, and I will email you a list of what's happening each week on Radio Tony. And in the meantime, just to let you know, we are still working on that online radio course, which we hope to have released soon. And I have a little gift for my listeners. I've got a choice of two if you'd like, and I'm going to pop the links for those things in the chat box right now. And first up this morning, we have the gorgeous Vanessa Labarca, who was with us last week and talked about the birth of her son, Aiden, and autism. And Vanessa has kindly agreed to come back on and answer your questions live on the show. And after we've uh, had Vanessa, we are going to introduce you to the gorgeous Robin Souter, who I am particularly excited to have back on the show. So, good morning, Vanessa. Good evening. Good morning. How are you? Thank you for having me. Sorry, it's evening for you. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, Vanessa, for for coming back on the show. We had some wonderful questions from the listeners, and the first was, how do you manage the autism spectrum? Great question, by the way. Yes. You know what? I don't know if it's managing the autism. It's managing the behavior. And so we do a lot of therapy with him. You know, like I said last week, we do ABA therapy. Just come in and teach him how to self-regulate. Teach him how to be responsible, to brush his teeth. Give him those life skills that he needs. So I'm not really sure what they're looking for in that question as far as you know controlling the autism behavior yeah you manage it rather than control it yeah right there, there really isn't much control you know and yeah. and I always say to people you know when when they go off um they can't always control it and so I have to realize that it's not the 
clients. It's not this. And so walk through it with the child. And so with my son, I'll say, okay, are you frustrated now? Well, let's talk about it. Why are you frustrated? And let's go through the process of what's going on. Vanessa, how did you know that further testing, so I'm talking about when he was first diagnosed, how did you know that you were going to do further testing? So I guess they're trying, the listeners trying to ascertain, was that uh, a mother intuition or were you directed by other professionals? So, no, I was directed. So once he was diagnosed, as I said last week, we joined a a pediatric um, center that had gone holistic and the, we, we, we were under guidance of a holistic pediatrician who said, okay, this is what we're going to do first. First, we're going to implement supplements and we're going to change diet. And, and there was a process. It was little by little. So we went by his guidance. And then as he got older, you know, now I know, intuitively I know. If, I, if there's something seems off, I'm like, mm, this looks like a B12 defici- yeah. deficiency. Let me up that. So. Yeah. Ah. So. Yeah. Fantastic. But I did have professional guidance. Yeah. And I good, think also good. as a mother, though, you can have some insight. I mean, when you see your end goal is to see healing, to see improvements, and if you're not seeing that, then yeah. let's look at all the alternatives. What What should I do next? So I think yeah. knowing what I know now and doing it now, I'm like, okay, what do I do next? How can I help him now? What should I test for? Yeah. Let me check his homocysteine levels in his blood. Let me see if he's getting all the nutrients he needs. And that I do do on a regular basis just to make sure he's getting enough vitamin yes. D or whatever it is because B12 is essential for the brain and I want to make sure that he's getting yes. the optimal la- amount. Yeah. Oh, even I take B12 because that's one of mine that tends to go up and down. Vanessa, you don't B12. necessarily know. Sorry, darling. I said, I think everyone needs B12. There's so many benefits yeah. to taking B12. Yeah. yeah. But I'm no doctor. It's just going by <laughs> what I've done <laughs> and what I've seen. Yeah. Do you know what specific things cause his meltdowns? Are there certain things that cause him more angst and upset than other things? So in the beginning, Aiden doesn't really have meltdowns now because we've had a lot of healing. But in the beginning, and this is where it becomes controversial, and this is my belief system, and this is what we experienced. And I I do want to note that he was medically diagnosed as vaccine-injured child. So it is written on his documentation by a doctor. Um, Mm -hmm. And my belief there is... When he got six and one shot, so on him, he went into, he, yes. he immediately went into anaphylactic shock. And a lot of the time, and this is my belief system with autism, is this brain inflammation. And the brain is on fire. And so they can't yeah. control it. And that's where it's stemming from. I mean, think about how you feel when you're angry or you're frustrated or you've got a headache, like sometimes you just can't control yourself. And I think those meltdowns come from, you know, and we learn as adults to regulate, you know, you won't go into a grocery mm-hmm. store when you're angry and have a fit, or, or I'd hope you wouldn't. But with him, <laughs> the brain literally at the early stages was, was on fire and he couldn't verbalize. He couldn't tell me what he wanted. And so the 
frustration and the meltdowns would come. And that's when he would bang his head on the wall um, and he would have eggs on his head constantly because he just couldn't get it out. So I think also some of the meltdowns are due to a lack of the inability to really communicate and self-regulate and so not getting heard and not getting understood. Um, and sometimes as parents, we tend to get frustrated with that. And we have to step back and realize they can control it. They, they can control it. Um, you know, when Aiden was in kindergarten and I would observe by the door, a teacher yelled at him, Aiden, Aiden, from across the room. And um, mm-hmm. he didn't respond. And she made him sit in a timeout chair. And I absolutely lost it because I was like, you can't yell at a across from a child, you need to go up to that child because there is some disconnect and go up to them. So I think going back to that disconnect, that inflammation, not being able to communicate, that's where you get a lot of the meltdowns. Okay, fair enough. How old is Aiden now? He's 10. He's 10. Um, He's 10. And we started treating him from the age of two and a half. uh Uh-huh. So it's it's and been he's a long haul. Really well he's doing really he's, well now, considering how he was when he was little. Absolutely, like I said before, you know, most people can't even pick up that he's on the spectrum unless you're really with him for a long period of time. Then you can see a little bit of immaturity, some quirkiness, but um, yes. he's he's communicative. He's loving he's funny he's he's smart he's mainstreamed in a regular school which is what i said last week he ne- the doctor said he had yes. never been mainstream so he's made yeah, huge progress and he's your oldest child and your only child that has had issues with autism i assume the girls uh had uh their vaccines and no problems with them the girls are completely unvaccinated yeah. Um, oh, and sorry. they have the girls are completely unvaccinated. They have had no okay. vaccine. Yeah. Um, okay. And they have thriving immune systems. They eat everything. They're super healthy. Um, yeah. They straight A students. They just excel in everything. Um, you know, yeah. we've I, I put them in daycare at you know preschool at two years old not worried you know I was like let them get the germs let them strengthen their immune system and in the beginning they got colds frequently but they completely unvaccinated so after my experience with Aiden and the pediatrician diagnosing it I chose not to to vaccinate the others yeah do you have any special precautions if there's an a measles outbreak or a chickenpox outbreak or are you comfortable that I am they... comfortable. Yeah. I'm comfortable with them being exposed. I had chicken pox. I had mumps as a kid. I grew up in South Africa where I got a yes. total of five vaccines my entire life. And the problem now is kids are getting 70-something vaccines throughout their lifetime until 18. And so I yeah. think, you know, even seeing with what's happening with COVID, I think, you know, the side effects versus what I experience with my son, I'm willing to take that risk. Um, you know, let them rest, hydrate, yeah. supplementation, nutrition, versus have the risk of having them have. And, and my one daughter has, you know, Aiden has a gene mutation, 
which I know it's one of the questions yes. called the MTHFR yes. gene mutation. And there are multiple copies. So with my girls, I did test for that as well. And one yes. has it. So for me, yes. it was like, I do that I go give her that? Yes. Right. Do I vaccinate her with the risk of her regressing and having a reaction like Aiden? Or do I take the risk and hope that she never catches anything that may be out there? Yeah. So... Yeah. And and this is just, you know, this has been, and I wouldn't wish autism on, and it's so prevalent now, but I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I mean, it's been blood, sweat, and tears, and a ton of money, because insurance doesn't cover anything. So we've literally, like, given our bread and butter to help this child. And, you know, we've had great support from my family um, yes. that has fin- financially helped us. So it it's it's not an easy road. Yeah, yeah. Um, some of the other questions we had before we run out of time, Vanessa, are um, what did you use to heal Aiden's gut? Was that so just about healing, diet? Yeah, I think healing is multifaceted. So it's we did diet. We did, you know, gluten-free, dairy-free, no food dyes, yes. no sugar. And, you know, when I started with a nutritionist in the beginning, I was like, I can't do this. She's never going to eat. And she's like, stay yeah. persistent. And you know what? He did. And so yes. at the beginning, it was food. But then again, it was hyperbaric oxygen chamber, beamer treatment, stem cells. All of that helped facilitate healing. So it's not saying, oh, I'm going to heal the gut and then go back and eat junk. Right now, he's okay and he can eat it every once in a while. Um, yes. But healing the gut. And then also, like I said, supplementation, probiotics, monitoring his yes. stools. Yes. So, that, but I think, um, you know, this like gut orientation. Yeah. The last question is around um, oxygen. Did you say getting oxygen to the cells helps remove waste from the body? If so, how do you get oxygen to the cells? And this is in relation to our conversation about hyperbaric uh, oxygen right. therapy. So, so I did hyperbaric oxygen. I did hyperbaric oxygen chamber and we did 40 dives. And then I also at home own a mat called a B-mat. It stands for Bioelectric Magnetic Energy Resolution. And basically, mm-hmm. he lies on it twice a day and it increases circulation in the body, you know, with mm-hmm. um, relaxing and contracting the microvessels. So when you have yeah. that reaction going on in the body, it increases blood flow. And whenever yeah. you have increased blood flow and oxygen, and when you increase blood flow, you get oxygen to the cells. When you get oxygen yeah. to the cells... Just like in cancer, you know, cancer can't survive in an oxygenated body. You, mm-hmm. it pushes, it gets the blood moving and circulating and then helps the body eliminate toxins. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's the same as the yeah. hyperbaric oxygen chamber where it's a little different because you're going under pressure, but it's pushing oxygen into okay. the cells so that the blood flow, because, and it goes back to biblical, you know, life is in the blood. Yeah. You know, you get yeah. that blood flow flowing once the blood's flowing you have good circulation you have oxygen going nutrients being absorbed and waste getting removed and that's the function of the blood and you know there's many pulse electric magnetic field mats out there um and basically it emulates working on the earth's magnetic um field you know barefoot outside you know it's that gentle of a field yeah yeah so it's just increasing circulation through pulse electric magnetic 
and making sure the oxygen actually gets to the cells in a way that the the cells can use it because the cells are the fundamental um, parts of our body that that do so many things they um, circulate your blood they take nutrients to your organs so many things so getting oxygen right. directly to their cells is going to yeah our final question is around um, toxins in the body and I know that we talked about a Aiden's high uh, metal uh, toxin count in his body, and it's that's the same for lots of people. We hold toxins in our body. We have to get rid of them in a certain way. What are some of the things you do for Aiden that help get rid of the toxins in his body? So Aiden has tons of toxins, and like you said, we're exposed to them environmentally, yes. food we eat, and. Um, what we did, which I discussed last week, was the chelation, which is really yes. heavy. So, and, you know, we did very mild, and then we went up, up to a much stronger chelating agent. But then he started to exhibit seizure-like behavior because it put the heavy metals elsewhere in the body. But as far yeah. as eliminating toxins now with him is, um, you know, I do juice for him every now and then, and he yes. will drink it occasionally. Um, you know, celery juice, uh, sometimes I'll put apple in with it, and that helps flush the body, you know, just eating a clean yes. diet. And then, um, you know, I stay away from toxins in my house. I've gone back to my grandparents' roots where I make my cleaning supplies from vinegar and essential oils and soap. I make my own sunscreen. You know, I don't apply sunscreen to the body that's filled with aluminum. You know, deodorant has aluminum. So we, we, I stay away from that. And right now it's just juicing. And again, it's using what I use with him daily in the house is the Beamer mat. Because if your yes. blood flow is going and you're getting rid of the waste, you're getting rid of those toxins. Yeah. So, Oh, Vanessa, thank you so much for coming back on Radio Tony and answering Thank our listeners' questions. Me. I really appreciate your time. It's been a wonderful conversation and very enlightening for everyone to learn more about autism and its management. And I appreciate you coming back on today, Vanessa. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Tony. It's my pleasure. Mm -hmm. My pleasure. Okay, wonderful listeners. Now Bye -bye. I'm going to introduce you to the gorgeous... Robin Suter. And we've spoken to Robin before. Uh, earlier in the year, I've spoken on Radio Tony. And today, we want to talk about Robin's latest book. So, Robin, good morning and congratulations on the publication of your book, A Passion to Run. Thanks very much, Tony, and hi, everybody. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited. It's been six years in the making. So about six years ago, I sort of started putting down a few ideas and it's been with the publisher for, you know, the last little while. And now finally, it's uh, actually come out into the light. I didn't tell many people that I was writing the book. I kept out a bit of a secret. Yeah. And, um, and so I think a few people are a bit surprised, actually. <laughs> I I uh, I wondered myself if you were going to write a book, and so for our listeners, um, Robin is a masters athletic uh, athlete rather, and 
she loved competing as a child in all school athletics events, and she was inspired by the great runner, Betty Cuthbert, um, who gave her a small pair of plastic spike shoes as a memento for running when Betty visited her in high school in grade eight. So um, Robin then went on to be a primary school teacher and raised her boys. And at the age of 48, with 20 years in education as a primary early childhood specialist teacher, she began to be retrained as a personal trainer and created her business called Family Fit. And she resumed running in fun runs and master's athletics from the age of 43, which is incredibly amazing. So from the age of 50, she began competing internationally at indoor and outdoor master's athletics championships across the world and has broken a number of New South Wales and Australian records at various events. Her passion has led to a rekindling of her childhood dream of running to win. And in 2019, she came second at the World Masters Indoor Athletics Championships in Poland uh, in the 60 to 64 age group in the 60 meter hurdles. And her time was 10.21 seconds. How fast is that, listeners? And so Robin believes that... You should take the opportunities in your life as they arrive, arise because they only come round once and you never know where they're going to lead you. So I want to talk now about Robin's book, A Passion to Run, and she has three giveaways of her newly re- released book for our listeners. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you to – Pop your name and email in the chat box, and after the show, Rebel will forward Robin and I the first three listeners to pop their name and email into the chat box, and we will organize. Uh, Robin will organize for you to receive her newly released book, A Passion to Run. So, Robin, um, what made you kick off running again in your 40s? Oh, a good question. Um, I basically just felt that I um, had everything going for me, work, husband, kids, in a career, and Mm -hmm. I just felt there was a little gap in me and I couldn't quite work it out. And so I um, just, uh, we went on a holiday and I just let myself have a bit of a dream about what it was Mm -hmm. that I really like doing and and then suddenly in my dreams um, over that week I discovered that I was thinking about when I was a kid and how I loved running and um, just running through the bush and running to my friends houses and yeah and then I suddenly realized that the running images were getting stronger and and uh, one thing led to another and then I thought well you know what maybe I'll I'll try running again. Maybe maybe that would be a, a nice hobby. So it just started out as a, a bit of a hobby, um, an attempt to kind of get a bit of fitness going and uh-huh. and um, and just, uh, yeah, just sort of add in a, another little slant into my already very busy life. Uh-huh, uh-huh. 
And so running has been something that's stayed with you all of your life, hasn't it? So you sort of popped in and out of running throughout your life from when you were a child and now into um, your later life. Why do you think running is so important to you, Robin? Oh, really important. I've um, I've discovered that through that, it's really helped me um, relate to other people. Like I had some back injuries when I was younger, yeah. and that was quite serious. And uh, I actually just lived in constant pain, and so it was a kind of a journey, I guess. Um, being uh, thrown off a a, um, a horse and then having a yeah. um, gymnastic vaulting accident and then having an accident, um, uh, lifting up a box of books and probably a few other things, all um, kind of created a uh, basically a dysfunctional back, and that led me to explore ways of of attempting to get rid of the pain. So I tried Alexander technique and yoga, swimming, um, distance running, gym work, all sorts of things. And um, and then I just found that the running, um, just coming back to that, after I had explored these things, I, I eventually um, became a personal trainer. And yeah. so as I got older, I, I realized that um, the running was important to me just personally because it helped me with my fitness and my just my general health and gave me a, a time out, a kind of a feeling of a holiday each day where I just didn't have to think about routine affairs and, you know, cooking and cleaning and so on. But then also I discovered that it, um, my, my knowledge through the things that I was doing led me to understand and relate to others more effectively. So I ended up being able to do personal training for people that also had severe back injuries who were struggling yeah. with um, various health issues um, and menopause, um, yeah. cardiovascular disease and all of those sorts of things. So, yeah, it, it was um, – it helped me to relate. And then uh, one thing – um, that I haven't mentioned is that I also work with seniors and I've just found that the running helped me motivate them. And so you've got no idea one of the most beautiful things you can be doing chair fitness with seniors, some of them who um, have, you know, like a pusher or walking stick, yes. some much more um, agile than that. But then we'll do some, you know, like little interval running where they're holding on the chair and they walk and move into a little tiny jog and lift their feet a little faster and make it like a little sprint. And when you get a reaction like, oh, my gosh, I've never done that before in my life, that is motivating. That is just great. So yes. I've discovered things for myself, but I've found that, I've been able to um, motivate and and be very connected to other people through it as well. Fantastic. Robin, what is it about competitive running that keeps you interested? Rather than the running itself, what is the competition? What does that do for you? Yeah, um, the competition is really interesting and I, I've been trying to analyse that myself. I guess uh-huh. it it um, is very much linked to your or my dream, um, my passion, mm-hmm. my dream of of um, of competing and and seeing what is possible. Where can I go? What is the best that I can achieve? 
And I'm really interested because I've understood that um, through the competition, I've discovered that I'll set a goal like I'd like to come 10th or 5th or 3rd or I'd like to see if I can improve and see whether I can uh, improve my time, for example, Mm -hmm. or if I can improve myself technically. And just um, by going through the process of of focusing on these different goals, I've discovered uh-huh. that the uh, the um, the goalposts keep shifting. So I might achieve those goals, and I think, wow, you know, I've um, I focused on my diet. I've stripped back, got a six pack. Um, I'm the lightest I can be. I'm the strongest. I'm just a rippling body of muscle. Um, you know, mm-hmm. mentally on the job, and yet I think I can do better. So each year mm-hmm. I've just kept on with this crazy idea that I'm not finished yet. I actually think that I can improve. And so that's been a fascination to me. Um, yeah. There's other elements in the competition that really ignite me as well. I guess um, the travel, meeting the people and um, – just the learning um, and the the discipline and and the actual learning yeah. what what is involved in competing and and then imaging people around the world who I've met and imagining them competing and or training to compete and um, imagining them just in their um, you know their trackies or you know just out yeah. and about and wondering what they're thinking and how they're feeling and is it raining and are they tired and and all of those things and then I thought oh I don't feel like training today and then I'll imagine them suddenly I'll pick myself up and I'll go well you know joy over there in Britain or or joy um, in um, in in America or all my other friends they'll um they might, uh, you know, they might be working really hard today. So I better, I better keep having a go because, you know, if you don't keep on on the treadmill, so to speak, mm-hmm. your body will just not um, hold up. And and I guess on a on a deep level, I often I know this might sound a bit strange, but I often feel quite connected to um, my in, strong um, internal instincts as a human being. And yeah. I know people talk about primitive um, the pr- the primitive needs or where we've come yeah. from as primitive um, people. And I sometimes imagine myself a cave woman or a Viking, you know, and <laughs> and, I, and I, I can't begin to tell you that as soon as I think that, I suddenly have my heart just starts racing and I imagine saber-toothed yeah. tigers and going into battle and, and I just um, get really excited and then I start to feel this need to have this um, adventure. I need to start to generate my energy and, and focus it. And I think the competition somehow is a modern phenomenon of, of that element. And um, it's, it, it, it's just a, it's a really beautiful feeling. And the, I guess I, I want to, I do want to win a gold medal in, um, and I'm dreaming and, and hoping and training mm. to win a, a gold medal in 60-metre hurdles uh, one of these days. Mm. And I, I just said to myself, you know what, um, uh, if I put my mind to it and I just 
chip away and chip away, what's the possibility that maybe that could happen? And so yeah. my passion is to just, you know, drive that and and um, keep keep that little dream alive and, and see what happens. And so far it's taken me around the world. I've made friends. It's been incredible. I've learned so much. I've been able to share so much and um you know and i feel great i feel positive um and i feel healthy and i'm fit and plus no kidding the pain that i was always suffering in my back and also mm. my knee and everything has gone <laughs> and when i when i sprint I might walk on the track completely in pain and walking distorted and looking a bit weird and then I'll I'll train and then by the end of my training or my running or my competition or whatever I feel fantastic and I think well that's that's a plus I'm going to keep this up yeah. like why wouldn't I why wouldn't I do that rather yeah. than pop you know 10 pills or have an operation so yeah. it's a much easier way of um maintaining uh, my body uh, pain-free and I'd rather um, I know it's not actually pain-free because you get pain um, but a nice sort of pain from from training really hard and you get exhausted yeah. uh, so but that's a different thing that's a the different kind of um, pain that's one that you create yourself and you need that uh -huh. you know that's part of the process mm. what does the pain create in your body that makes it worthwhile working through that pain. Does that make sense? Yes, I totally get that. Um, I guess the thing is that pain stops you from being who you really are. It, it, mm -hmm. it puts up blocks that you can easily use as a crutch and you can say, oh, I'm in pain, oh, therefore I won't go to the gym. Oh, I'm in pain. Oh, you can drive the car. Oh, I'm in pain. I don't want to walk that far. Drive me, you know, to drive me to the um, where the cafe is, and I'll just walk three feet. Um, oh, pain is there. Oh, I don't feel like lifting those things. Um, get somebody else to do it. And so, whatever it might be, the pain is there in the back of the brain. You can feel it, and it becomes a reality. Yeah. But it. Um, it can be, and pain can be, uh, you know, just insidious, quiet, niggling, or it can be gone for a while and you feel normal and then all of a sudden it comes back and that may be as a result of doing something or not doing, you know, something and wearing high heels yeah. maybe for too many hours or whatever it might yeah. be. And I guess you, uh, for me, the pain was like these blocks and I decided that I wasn't going to let anything stop me or block me from what I wanted to do and the question was what did I want to do and I decided I wanted to run and I wanted to enjoy running and I wanted yeah. to heal my body and I decided I would set about a course of action to heal and self-heal emotionally and physically and see where that led and that um, I discovered a lot of home truths about running being, you know, it really um, it, it helps you flow and relax yes. and then um, 
And from there, I was able to, you know, sort of deal a bit more creatively with my pain. And that's not to say that I haven't had operations and had to take a lot of painkillers, but I've tried to broaden my mind. And I've also tried to learn how to work with the pain, work through the pain, work around the pain, forget about the pain, put the pain to sleep. Like I'll wake up in the middle of the night stretching and um, in yeah. pain and then I'll go, okay, now, Robin, all right, now I, I recognise the pain, now just go to sleep now <laughs> and put it to bed <laughs> and don't let and it, don't let it leave. Yeah. So actually it's a guiding light. Pain actually teaches you about yourself and you should uh-huh. really use it. In, a, in the most positive way. The pain is there to help you um, discover something. It's t- telling you something's not right. And so what it's saying is um, focus on it and give it some life and give it some energy and then try to work out what it needs. And so um, if you then you might need to go through a process of different things. You may need to enlist the help of others. And for me, I, I had um, my massage people and my physio and my strength and conditioning um, coach, and I had an NLP, neuralistic, uh, oh, neuro-linguistic um, programming uh, lady. I had a counsellor. I had coaches, um, you know, for my hurdles and pole vault and, um, you know, mm. I did massage I had I just enlisted the help of all of these different people and and then I started to respect the fact that pain led me to these most beautiful people who mm-hmm. have studied and um, and they themselves have developed a profession and a career and they are trying to share and help in um, you know from that perspective and so I feel so grateful because I have met the most wonderful um, people in all the different professions, um, physically and mentally, emotionally. And I feel that um, life would be very boring and wouldn't have anywhere near as much um, uh, interest uh, if I perhaps had not had any pain, <laughs> if that kind of makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, Kathy. Can you tell our listeners, you've been coaching now for a number of decades, actually. What is it that you like the most about being a coach? Oh, I love um, love that question. And uh, it was an interesting thing. I started to run and then I started to get, you know, some coaching and then I discovered that I wanted more uh, information more knowledge I wanted to improve and so I was looking for more and more help and then I realized that the kind of coaching that I also wanted for myself as a female and as I got older um, wasn't always there and the coaching is available but it it seemed to be um Uh, maybe for the young people, much younger. And so I thought, well, look, I probably really should learn enough to start to gradually, you know, give myself my own guidance because I am a bit older and 
and nobody really mm-hmm. wants to run with me and train with me. So oh. I'm going to really be on my own. And even though people would, it's a timing thing my, because of my business. I didn't have time yeah. to actually run and train with people in the usual um, training times. So I decided that I would take the first step to becoming my own coach and that was a gradual process over several years. I had many coaches along the way, wonderful people who I learnt from and really, really appreciated all of that and then slowly, slowly um, did little courses and things uh, to try to, you know, self-empower myself. And then Mm -hmm. I realized that if I wanted to start to maybe coach other people, I needed to have enough knowledge, um, you know, to make myself a good coach. So that actually was another strong reason for me focusing on my competition um, because through that I then started to develop um, very highly – diarized uh, diaries and running diaries and periodized programs um, over quite a few period you know number of years and then um, I found that once I started to feel positive about my running and then I started to coach children in particular I realized that the knowledge that I was building for myself and also having been a teacher in the past, I felt that it was really important that I share that knowledge and that process to young people. And I wanted to make their experience really empowered. And I really believe that knowledge is power. So as I started to coach my kids I would give them information and tell them, you know, technically what this would mean or how you would do that or why you would do it, why, or what's happening in the body and and uh, why is that going to be positive, why would you do this and maybe not something else. And so trying to give them information so that they could then gradually become more empowered and, and more knowledgeable and, and hopefully better runners but – but yes. in the end, I don't know what their journey is. Will they continue to run or not? So even if they don't continue to run, they hopefully will take those seeds of knowledge that I've shared with them and maybe those seeds become fruits and gradually in the years to come will become pearls of wisdom for them and, and help them through, you know, thick and thin and um, and uh, and also help them to know that it's a process that you have to go through to gradually find what is your full potential. And so if that is something that they want to explore, they have to start and learn and, and develop. And uh, the best way to do that is through something that is really positive and, and where you feel that you, um, you know, each time you, you uh, run, you you feel like you're learning something. So that's why I love coaching. Robin, on that, when you're talking about running, how far do you run now? (laughs) Does it vary? 
It really does vary. I'm running – look, my my training through a course of a year changes, but generally I can be training anywhere from five to 11 times in a week, and that is anywhere uh-huh. from once a day to twice a day, and that is um, usually six days a week, but sometimes down to five days a week. And in that I do um, – usually three strength and conditioning sessions, um, uh, a massage, a a couple of hours of flexibility, um, sometimes even seven hours, like an hour a day. I'll do, um, say, for example, I might run on, um, just as an an idea, like Mondays I might do 200 metres where I focus on 200, so that might be, I might do a um, a 300 meter, 250 meter, 200 meter, 150 meter uh, sprints. Uh, I might do uh-huh. one or two sets of that. Then on Tuesday, I might uh, focus on my hurdles. Uh, I might just focus on the um, first couple of hurdles coming out of blocks up to you yes. know maybe 30 or 40 meters. Then maybe on Wednesday I might do 150s where I focus on 100 meters. So I might do um, 350s, um, 320s, a, a couple of 90s and then finish off with 100 mm-hmm. meters. And then Thursday I might um, focus on hurdles again and I might put out yes. Uh, three or four hurdles and, you know, run through. I might do a set of, you know, three and then I might repeat that set um, uh, several times. Uh, Then usually Uh on Friday I might have a massage and go to the gym. Saturday I might uh, run again. I might do 10, 100 metres or I might, if if I'm focusing on, um, I'm doing 400 metre sprints, then, you know, Uh I might potentially do, um, like a 600 metre, 500 metre, 400 metre, 300 metre. And then on Sunday, sometimes in the past, I've gone over to visit my mum at Manly and mm. do like a beach run, run around from oh. Manly around to um, Shelley Beach, run around the headland. And then from the cafe, I'll run up the hill and I'll do five intense fast sprints simulating a, the, the initial bend of a 200-metre race and then I'll uh, run back and I'll do, you know, maybe um, run backwards in the sand, sprints. and So, you know, and then Sunday afternoon I'm usually do a gym thing. So I, I fit all of this in and yeah. around uh, working full-time, being a, being a mother and housewife. And, uh, yeah, and, um, and it's lovely. I, I basically just say, look, you know, um, give myself an hour every day for myself and um and sometimes I obviously have to do more than that depending on the um the period of intensity and where I am at with competition and obviously as the years have gone on I've built that from just a general three sessions of training a week to five and then built it from there so it was once I went from five sessions a week um, and and added more seven nine eleven. That's when I had a major turning point in my um, mindset and my um, ability, and also my yeah. understanding of um, how to actually put it all together. So yeah, I have um, 
So um, it's it's not as simple as you you might think because it's it sounds like you have to do a combination of short running and longer running combined with gym and then the technical component. So it's quite complex. Yeah, from it is a non-runner's perspective. <laughs> not being yeah. the runner that you because because what you have to do is you have to. Do it in such a way, it's like being in a river. The river is flowing and sometimes it's slow and gentle. Other times it's rippling currents and you're Mm -hmm. going over a waterfall and down onto the rocks. So it's... um, it's about trying to understand the body and it, and and that's where information is really critical because I learned you know from textbooks and and my courses that I've studied short courses and um, for you know larger courses that the the energy systems of the body and the the way the body recovers on a cellular level and um, you have to sort of have a bit of a a pretty good understanding of that so you can't just go and sprint every single day you can do distance running every day which I have done but you can't Uh sprint because it changes and affects the central nervous system and you can be needing rest anywhere up to 48 hours after a session so if you want to train Uh um, twice a day or if you want to run um, four or five times a week and you want to have the focus running in sprinting, for example, um, whatever the distances might be, you have to um, vary it. So one day it's a long, what appears to be longer and slower, less, less demanding on the central nervous system. Then the next mm-hmm. day might be the intense, short, fast, um, circuit-changing um, technical sort of moves that you'll do to, to try to yeah. impress the, the brain. And so it's the message that the brain sends down to the through the impulses to the muscles and allows you to create that speed. And so it's practicing that. And so as we get older, it's the one thing we don't want to do. We don't like to do plyometrics. We don't like to jump. We don't like to do deep squats. We don't like to run fast. So yeah. it's a use or lose game. If you don't train it, you lose it. And so it's a matter of, you know, making uh, the necessary things um, happen to keep those impulses um, occurring in the body. And then if you do that, you can compete and you actually don't tear muscles and you don't hurt yourself. (laughs) So it's pretty complicated. Yeah, but I love it. Yes, every time I talk to you, I'm fascinated by the complexity around training for something so specific i've just looked at the time (laughs) we have two minutes left and i want to know before i let you go how did you go about making your dreams and passions become a reality it's one of the most popular things that people want to take a talk about how did you do what you do how did you create your dream and follow your passion and make it reality Great. I'll just try to give you a, a, a sort of a quick overview. Yes. First of all, um, once I sort of decided on my dream of of running again, I um, I sort of started a word perfect diary and worked out when I could yes. exercise and when I could train in and around my work, and then I translated that into a Google diary. So that I've mm. kept for like twelve years. So I've been doing changing that diary every ten weeks or so, and then I um, I developed a running diary, hard covered book which I'd have in my training bag, and um, a page 
per day. And then as I went through a year, then I'd go back to the beginning and then I'd write the same day but the, the year later underneath the previous year. And so then I would eventually have three or four years overlapping and I could actually see what I'd trained and what, what my times were. And so I was then able to uh, and now when I have a rest in between my reps, I flick through my diary and I have a look at the times um, from a year or two years or three years ago. And I and keep myself really focused still? so that, yeah, yeah, so my times have got to stay similar to, you know, what I was a couple of years ago. And in some instances, I'm getting better, which is incredible. That's and um yeah, then I um, then I sort of went about developing, learning how to write a periodized program and and developing my skills in that area. I set myself some goals, um, and I would write those down. Simple goals like I want to win. <laughs> no, I'm only joking. There's um, a power. I, there's a power but, in writing them down, oh, isn't yeah. there, Robin? It, you have to write. You, you write have to write. You. And uh, and yeah. the writing has been critical and absolutely fantastic for me. And then I realised that um, through this whole process that a dream is in your head, but the passion is in the energy that you draw off or from. Yes, and the hard work dream. is what turns the dream into a reality. And yeah. so it was the decision at one point that I made where – I said, I will make my dream a reality. What will it take to make that happen? And so, you know, I went from being just a very average, you know, just run for fitness to now mm -hmm. enjoying that World competitive spirit and, yeah, and, yeah. Um, and, and enjoying travel when, of course, we're allowed to. Can't wait to go again after mm -hmm. COVID. And um, Robin, yeah, it has been an amazing show. I am getting the wrap-up signal from my gorgeous rebel. Um, listeners, don't forget to pop your email name into the chat box. Rebel will send it to me and we will make sure we get three of Robin's books out to three people. Robin's new book, A Passion to Run, available in paper book and ebook. I've put her details up in the chat box. And Robin Suter, thank you so much for being on Radio Tony once again. And that's our lot for this week listeners thank you robin and thank all, you, Tony. all the best darling thank you so much bye Thanks for now for everyone radio tony your safe space for tough conversations exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery radio tony a platform for the unheard radio tony with tony lontis author of resilience memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty radio 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 tony available now on amazon.com and in all good bookstores radio tony back next thursday from 7 p.m eastern standard time live from the gold coast australia Mom!